This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by tablet editor-at-large, Liel Leibowitz. Liel, it's so good running this two-man show with you. What's going on? Catch me up on, you know, what's the haps? I think, I think today, as we've done for the last nine or 14 or 26 weeks, let's talk about gin martinis and being middle-aged men and why we don't believe that being introverted is a real thing. What do you think? Do you think listeners would, would like another week of that? I think that definitely after all this time, what they really want to hear is more about us going on about corduroy and how the kids have terrible taste in music. Can I tell you how, how sick of us I am? It is time to make Unorthodox great again. Oh my God, is it? Does my Zoom screen lie? Could it be? Stephanie Budnick. Guys, I'm back. I'm back now. We're gonna be fine. To all the people who messaged me saying, I can't listen to the show anymore without you. <laughs> to all the people who are like, when are you coming back? So glad you had a By baby, the way, but like, you need to be back on the show. Mark and I include <laughs> these people. Like, we were also <laughs> texting and we can't listen to the show anymore. I'm talking mostly to you two. <laughs> I hope you were up to something important in the time that you abandoned us to our our own masculine devices. Um, yeah, I was up to something kind of important. Yeah, I have a baby now. <laughs> oh, right. The funniest thing is my last episode on the show was the pregnancy episode. And, you know, I actually recently listened to it for the first time because, as our listeners know, I basically had a baby during that episode. Yeah, thanks for helping out on the edit, by the way. <laughs> I know, I really left that on, on everyone's plate. So sorry about that. But, you know, I think it's what they say, like, woman plans and God laughs. So when I was coming back to work after my 12 weeks off, I was like, I guess I should listen to the show. And it was almost like a, a funny form of closure. But what I realized was what I was doing with that episode was, like, trying to control something inherently uncontrollable, right? I was like, maybe if I like put my reporter's hat on and I interview people about different aspects of pregnancy, like I see it now. What I was trying to do was sort of like get a hold of something that is so, as we learned in that episode, so out of our control. And so I was sort of laughing at myself, just thinking like, oh, you innocent girl, like you thought that you could know this, right? Like that you could sort of say like, I could manage this. I could book some interviews. We could do an episode about it and it'll explain everything. Um, and so that to me was a very funny thing to listen to. It should be clear in the history of the show, we've gotten tape from your and Ben's wedding and my son David's bris. Was there a moment in the delivery room where you thought of saying to Ben, Ben, fire up the voice memo on your phone. Like we owe the J crew some tape. So, you know, it is really funny. Before this all, like when I was sort of at the end towards the end of my pregnancy, I was like, Ben, you know, I'll record something like after the baby comes in the room. He was like, no, you won't. And I was like, okay. And then this funny thing happened where, you know, even I was telling you guys, I was like, oh, I'll still be around. I'll be on leave. But you could still, you know, you could, you could all, if you, need, if you need me to listen to something. The moment, I mean, the last thing I really did work-wise was send that voicemail to Josh, just being like, hey, can't do this. Sorry. Hope everything's okay. Like, hope you guys can figure this out. And of course, everyone did. And everyone at Tablet figured everything out. And we had sort of a lot of plans in place. And you guys, we knew what we were going to do for the fall. So, but Look, the don't, moment, don't worry about it. The we moment, all... I'm telling you. No, don't interrupt me yet. I've been on the show for like five minutes. Oh, so what, what can I start? Because <laughs> come on now. We haven't talked about Nazis You've been talking a lot, either. Stephanie, just saying. It's true, I've been talking a lot. Um, no, it's funny, like the minute everything started, I just completely went into a different mode and I just like went into baby mode. And I, honestly, guys, I did not listen to this the show while I was out. I think because I was in such like at the haze of newbornness, but also I was like, this isn't my show right now. Like this, I'm doing something else. These guys got it under control. So, but I also probably was like, 
what am I going to listen and be like, oh, I think you guys should have done something different. Like you can't do that when you're out, right? First of all, we didn't remotely have it under control, but it's nice that you thought so. It's, we wanted you to think so. Second, I want to know. Now, somebody once gave me a great bit of advice that the two things in the world that nobody wants to hear about are your children and your dreams. And I think that's largely true of dreams. Like what's more boring than someone saying, oh my God, I had this dream last night, right? We know that you don't think that's true of children. <laughs> but I actually don't think that's entirely true of children. And this is a case where to judge by our mailbox, the J Crew really wants to hear you to sort of, you know, expand on motherhood for a moment. Like what, what if, how old is, is Edith Isadora? Edith Isadora. I mean, we haven't even talked about Edith, the freaking coolest baby of all time. So I think people don't really want to hear about motherhood. They want to hear about Edith. I want to hear about both. I want to hear about Edith and motherhood. And, and I want to hear about Edith's dreams. <laughs> If I can. Edith's dreams are hilarious because Edith sleeps in our room in a little bassinet in the corner. We set a whole nursery up, but she still sleeps in our room for reasons I'm like still not entirely sure of. I'm like, but she has the nicest room, but she'll sleep in a travel bassinet by our bed. So Edith Isadora was born July 20th at 843 p.m. And she is amazing. And she is named for my paternal grandmother, Dora, Dora Butnick, Auschwitz survivor, woman about town, just an amazing, really larger than life woman. And She's also named for Ben's maternal grandfather, Irving, who was like a really baller accountant in Brooklyn. Um, and Edith <laughs> is for no one, right? Edith, Edith, we just liked. You basically use like a Jewish name generator or a yeah. Junerator. You're just like, hey, can you spit out three random Jewish names like Irving, so yeah. Irving, accountant. Edith, like done, done, and done. And Edith were like, they probably knew a lot of Ediths. Like, that's great. Let's, accountant, let's go all the Brooklyn, way. Auschwitz, Isadora. <laughs> the trifecta, man. Um, so yeah, so she's named Edith Isadora, or as one of my friends put it, Edith is adorable. And I was like, how did I not think Ooh, of that myself? Oh my. So Edith is adorable. That's her Instagram. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she looks exactly like Ben Cohen. She has bright blue eyes that the pediatrician thinks are going to stay blue. She's like my tiny Aryan child. I love it. And she's just like, every day is different. Every week is different. She just is like very engaged right now. She loves her hands. She loves light. Has she blamed you for ruining her life yet? Or, or does that come a little later? I think that's later. Meanwhile, what are you and Ben secretly judging other parents for right now? I don't judge anyone. Like, I think what's happened is to me, is, first of all, I judge no one. I no, judge no one course. for anything. Because, Never. No, no, no. In general, like, I'm just like, all these conversations are so loaded. It's like epidural, no epidural, breastfeeding. It's like, Everyone has to do what they is right for them. And like, there's this industry, I feel like that comes up. It's like the baby industrial complex where it's like, buy this, not that. Buy, wear this, not that. Your baby should be sleeping by this and doing this. No, I don't want any, I don't want to be part of that. Preying on the insecurities of, of women. But you, you're on, on Upper West Side mommy groups where, where I know for a fact the judginess is strong. No, honestly, I've really stayed out of that. I think that there is like a thing designed to make women specifically feel bad about like all their choices, no matter where in life right. they are. And this is just like one of them. That, that thing is called society and it's run society, by Society, yeah. Yeah, so you'll buy stuff. The funny thing is, so I, there's this phrase mommy brain, which I find sexist and offensive, but like it's definitely, I think it's like newborn brain or baby brain because I can't recall words. Like I can't think of words. So I was like a little nervous to come back. Can I tell you something about mommy brain? Are you, sorry, are you mansplaining mommy brain to me? <laughs> I love this. Uh, no, I want to, I want to bring in Sid Oppenheimer. I want to bring in Mrs. Sid Oppenheimer. She is absolutely convinced there's such thing as mommy brain. She thinks that she's lost an IQ point or two for each pregnancy. I don't notice it. But I guess I should say I find the term mommy brain offensive. Mo well, it should be mother brain. Mom brain. Yeah, mama brain. No. Um, <laughs> well, by the way, I have this like really this like very painful wrist thing. And I went to the hospital for special surgery and they were like, so you have what we call mommy wrist. And I was like, you gotta be kidding. <laughs> right. And it has like some longer name and it's a real thing. He's like, but by the it's, way, it's I mommy love wrist. how fucking like, condescending doctors are to women. Like, 
You have what we call a uh, mommy tumor, and like, yeah. <laughs> we'll give you mommy give chemo, you mommy and you'll be mommy juice. healed. <laughs> yeah, there's a Talk lot. That. There's a lot. He's like, so you're gonna have to wear this wrist brace. <laughs> I was like, it doesn't come in pink. It comes in only black. Like, right. what kind of, like, how am I gonna put this on my mommy wrist? Can I just tell you how completely useless I was in in the first years of both of our children's life? Lisa basically looked at me and said, "Great, so now I have." Two of you who drink a lot and then pass out and then wake up screaming in the middle of the night. Like, that's not right. My role and reckoning as a father took took a while for the mechanism to kick in. I have to say Ben Cohen, great dad. Just going to say that because if I talk more about him, he's going to get mad at me. I am not at all shocked. I saw great dadness in Ben in all the times we've hung out. But also, like, they're best friends. Ben and Edith. Like, I walk in and it feels like they're, like, like having moments. And I'm just like, I'll leave you guys alone. Like, you guys are clearly in the middle of something. Like, I'll come Aww. back later. I'll come back at like feet o'clock. <laughs> okay, but but here's the new thing. Because now that I'm like in this different moment of life, like we have, there's so much more to talk about. And I've been thinking a lot about the like Jewish or not thing. Because I want to, you know, everything that happens in my life has to be tailored to the show as well. Motherhood, Jewish or Goyish? <laughs> <laughs> life, Jewish, Goyish. Part of this, this new thing I've been thinking about is like, are godparents a Jewish thing? Do you guys have any thoughts on this? I I didn't oh, have yeah. any we godparents. Have, we have thoughts. Does Edith have godparents? Hold on. Before before we continue, does Edith have godparents? No. Liel, I can't even imagine that someone growing up in Israel has thoughts. On, like, we can skip past you, right? You have nothing to add to this, right? This is an I American conversation. So much to add to that because it's like the role of the God, the role of the godfather <laughs> in Judaism <laughs> is so incredibly different. In Jewish tradition, there's a thing called the Sandak, which is really funny because that is how they chose to translate the movie The Godfather, which all Israelis known as the Sandak, right? That's hilarious. <laughs> which is literally how we refer to it in, in pop culture. What it is, is the other name for it is Balabrit, the owner of the bris, right? That is the person who holds the baby during the bris and helps bring the baby into the covenant with Hashem. And this is where that person's responsibilities towards a child ends. It's just a sort of, you know, great big honor that the person gets. And, and we believe that the person who holds a baby gets, you know, a lot of a lot of mitzvahs and a lot of good deeds. Uh, and then you kind of travel across the sea to different cultures, to different climates. And you realize that Godfather is a totally different thing. And that somehow they're supposed to be responsible for the kid's religious education and continue. And it's kind of jarring to me. Mark, explain it to me. Yeah, so as, as a Jew who grew up surrounded by people who had godparents, because it's a very big Catholic thing. And I think, and the, the J. Crew is going to let us know the specifics of this. Someone's going to fill us in. I think it has something to do with the baptism or, or christening that maybe the godfather or godmother is present for it or holds the child for it. I think it's probably different in different Catholic and Protestant you know, churches, but it's basically, it's an honor to be asked. You have something to do with the christening or the baptism. And then yes, in the old world tradition, and I saw a lot of this growing up in a very Irish and Italian Catholic town, I think there was something of a sense that if anything happens to the parents, that the godparents step in. It was also like the godparents are, it's a lot of gifts. You know, godparents have to really come with a gift for the first communion, come with a gift for, you know, the quinceaneras, the wedding, whatever. But it's kind of a big deal. And I will still, to this day, I have Catholic friends in New Haven who will talk about, oh, so-and-so's coming for dinner and blah, blah, blah. Oh, and also my godmother's coming or also like my goddaughter's coming. And that's a thing. It's like a, they, they are aware of who, whether they're coming through or not with a lot of gifts or advice or money, they're very aware of that relationship. 
honestly, I think it's pretty attenuated. Like I would love to hear if we have any millennial listeners, Christian millennial listeners who are really into who their godparent is or any 40 or 50 year old listeners who are really into their godchild. But here's here's my point. It is definitely a Christian thing. As you say, Liel, it is not, there's nothing Jewish about it. The Jewish analog is very, very different. And I'm really peeved when I hear about Jews talking about, oh, my goddaughter, because like literally it is an importation of a, of a religious thing into a tradition that it doesn't fit into at all. And as far as I could tell, it's a way that some very assimilated Jews at mid-century, let's say, found something nice to call right. a good friend of theirs. Like the way that in Asian cultures, you'll, t- you'll refer to everyone as your child's auntie, even if they're not your auntie, right? It's just like you're, you're giving them a, a family-like name when it just means good friend of mom and dad. And I just, like for Jews, it's such a Goyish term. It's literally a Goyish term. And I, it bothers me. What are you saying? Just, just call them my brothers and sisters in Christ. It, it there you <laughs> no, go. Right. I, here's what, here's the thing. So my friend Irene, who's Greek Orthodox, she has godparents and a goddaughter. And I was like, no doubt. And she would always send me sending a present on her goddaughter's name day and on Christmas. And, and of course this starts at the beginning of their lives with those same rituals. But by the way, I don't think it's such a bad idea because what if you take it as someone who's responsible for sort of like your religious literacy or your like cultural literacy in this community? So it's almost like having like an older cousin or someone who's going to say like, hey, you know, you're becoming a bar mitzvah. Here's what I wish I knew then. Like I act, it's sort of like a like a sorority big or little. Right. Except for except for as Jews, we have a whole communal system that is designed to take care of exactly that. But I don't think I think in our modern day, it would be really fun if we all had like a mentor, basically, who was like. Like your Jewish Aunt Sylvia person. Let's find let's find a good name for that though, because I'm on board with the concept. Aunt Sylvia, we want you to be Edith's godmother, and when she's ready for Dafyomi, we need seven years of daily zooming with her to bring her up to speed. I'm sorry, but isn't isn't that why people have us? Aren't we literally everyone's sandaks? We are your godparents. If you want religious education, come to us. You, you don't need anyone else. But I do think it's really nice. Like I think this concept is really great where there's someone who's not your parents, right? And is not really an aunt and uncle, right? This is someone who I think you're not related to them in most yes. cases. You know that we have a token person on this Zoom that has one, right? Producer Josh Cross. Right there on the bottom of the screen. We have a godchild. Robert, Quinn, do you both have godparents? <laughs> Wait, they, they do. Let's play Ask the Gentiles. Producer Robert, can you shed some light on our ignorance? By the way, can we please have a theme song to Ask the Gentile, which would be a section on the show? <laughs> and don't tell OSHA. <laughs> <laughs> Producer Robert Scaramuccia, you have a godparent. I do, I do. I would like to write in as a Christian millennial, as Mark has asked us to do. Please. More or less, I mean, shout out to my Uncle Rob uh, from Floral Park, Long Island. Uh, he was there at my baptism and everything. I would say the more spiritual thing that he did is he took me to my one Mets game at Shea Stadium. And that <laughs> changed my life. He's like, son, you need to understand that life is suffering. Here, come with me. <laughs> and, but he's your uncle. And he is my uncle, yeah. And then my, my godmother is another aunt. And so, you know, you see them every once in a while and that's about it. This is really weird. So the godfather is an uncle and the godmother is an aunt who is not said uncle's wife. So right. like, so they had like a god wedding and had you as the godchild? Like, I, I don't get, what is the relationship between them then? Well, it's like machatunim. Like, Robert, if you need money for like to bail you out, right. let's, if you need bail money and godfather's not into it, does he have godmother on speed dialed? He's like, Robert's in jail again. Tell him to like buy weed in a state where it's legal. I mean, Your turn to bail him out. They gave me some pretty good confirmation money. So I'm, I, that's honestly, and I'm just saving that for the moment I need it. Okay. Intern Quinn. 
also a person of ancestrally the Christian persuasion. Anything to add? Yeah, I think in my family, they're supposed to be the people who take care of me if my parents die. That's how it was explained to me. Spiritually, I don't know if they did their job since I'm converting to Judaism. So I don't know if they like did their, <laughs> their Christian duty. Wow. What I also love about the idea that their job is to take care of you if your parents die is like, once you make it to 18, they're off the hook. They've actually nah, nah, seen themselves through all the years when they ever would have been Whew, called on. Dodge, dodge that one. They're like, she's at Vassar. She's fine. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Quinn, you should get a new, like, you should keep your old godparents, but you, when you convert, you should get, like, a spiritual, like, a fairy godmother. A, a spiritual sonduk. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> so everyone write in, tell us if you want to, like, adopt Quinn as, I don't know. If, <laughs> I I don't know yes. Quinn. It's not part of your internship. This but. is now turned into a telethon. <laughs> We're sitting by the phones. But that's actually, 1-800. But it's kind of like your Jewish sponsor. Like, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone wants to take control of my Jewish journey. No, but you have to interview. We're going to have a lot of applicants and you're yes. going to have an interview process. You need to think now, what are you going to ask them? Like, what, what essays do you want them to write? You come to me on my daughter's oof You don't call me Sandak. <laughs> Friends, we want so much mail on Godparents, The Return of Stephanie, Edith Isadora, and so forth. Please, of course, write to us at unorthodoxatabletmag.com or call us 914-570-4869. We'll be back in a moment. And then we will have our interview with comedian Alex Edelman, whose new show called Just For Us is about infiltrating a white supremacist gathering. Plus, we're going to bring you a visit to New York City's latest culinary import from Tel Aviv, Sherry Herring, where Liel has been spending all of his time and most of his money. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J. Crew! it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. 
Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolfe. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. other things, in addition to finishing my work for this podcast that I was going to do right before I had baby Edith was meet the comedian Alex Edelman for some bagels and locks. Um, I basically had to cancel on him. I was like, so sorry. Ended up having a baby. Things things happen. So now that I'm back, one of the first things I wanted to do was get together with Alex Edelman. And so Liel and I met him and we had a great conversation with him. He's a comedian and writer and his Orthodox Jewish upbringing informs a lot of his work in really interesting ways. He has a new one-man show. It's called Just For Us and it premieres in New York City next month, and it's about his experience infiltrating a white nationalist gathering. So here's Alex Edelman. Alex Edelman, welcome to the Upper West Side. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you and Liel on a park bench. What are you, like, what are you in town doing? What's going on? I'm doing a bunch of shows on the road to get ready for this off-Broadway run. So I was in Chicago last week in Madison this upcoming weekend, and... I wanted to see some people and some friends and do a couple of small shows in New York. And so that's why I'm here, but I'm going to be living here for at least a month coming up. Yeah, so tell us about your new, your first one-man show. It's actually my third one-man show, so but it's good. my, don't worry. It's don't your worry. first, what is it, staged, isn't it? There's some it's first there. It's my first there. one staged in New York. It's my first run in New York, which is wild. Which, as far as we're concerned, means it's your first, because we don't recognize the validity of anything that happens outside of the thousand percent. What's the difference, before I ask you about your show, what's the difference between a one-man show and a stand-up set for a comedian? Well, I don't think too much about the differences in form, because to me, like, a one-man show is always, like, Spalding Gray and kind of stodgy and stuff like that. <laughs> and like you're wearing a turtleneck. Yeah, right? like... like uh, Sing the spotlight and a stool. <laughs> like Gentile Brahmin monologist <laughs> sitting on a stool, just like, and that's why I discovered self-actualization through skiing is like very much... <laughs> but, um, but yeah, for me, it's just an hour-long set with an arc or a narrative at or something at the center of it. And recently there are a bunch of comedians like Gary Gullman just did a special called The Great Depression, which was all about his depression for HBO. And I would argue that it's a solo show. And Mike Birbiglia is undoubtedly a stand-up comic and one of the best in the country and the producer of my solo show in New York. He's a stand-up comedian, but his hours all have, you know, things at their center. So the difference between a solo show and a stand-up set, um, the two can sometimes be the other, I guess. And so tell us about Just For Us. So my solo show is I went to a gathering of people that I would classify as white nationalists in an apartment in Queens. And I sat there for a bit and eventually it sort of came up that I was uh, Jewish. And, uh, and that's the story that is at the center of this show. It is based on that instance. And we shan't ruin the ending they don't kill me, I'll tell you that. But it was, uh, I mean, and also, by the way, this is a thing that people do and smarter people than me, mostly internationals like Louis Theroux and John Safran, who's an Australian journalist, not Jonathan Safran Foer. And Talia Levin just wrote a really great book 
called Culture Warlords about, like, getting into, like, the really ugly, you know. Like, I've actually spent some time with people that I would classify as white nationalists, and I read the book, and I was like, God damn, I'm shocked by that. Like, she really... Like, my guys are, uh, like, You guys LARPers. are off-white nationalists. Those yeah. are real white you nationalists. You know, she was writing about, like, ancient medieval knights. I was hanging out with the kids who dress up in, like, tinfoil and go to the park to fight with cardboard swords. Like, she really, she really got into it. How long did it take for them to realize you were Jewish? Um, about an hour and 15 minutes. So you weren't doing like talking about to fill in and like no, what like you no. had to really temper yourself. Yeah, like, guys, really I'm did. I'm for Klemtia. Where's the food coming? <laughs> yeah. Is there a nosh? The funny thing is, I think I look very Jewish. Jewish women will sometimes say that people say to them, "Oh, you don't look Jewish," which is like you know it's supposed to be a compliment. Yeah, which is supposed to be a compliment and is softly anti-Semitic. And and I always want to be like, that's never happened to me. No one's ever said to me, "You don't look Jewish," but I have sometimes been like, <laughs> especially after this, I get my I used to get my hair cut by this guy who would shave the sides of my head and just give me a swoop like this. And I looked like, I had like a Richard Spencer haircut right. for a while. It was really, really weird. He called it the fashy swoop casually once. And I was like, fashy swoop? He's like, yeah, the fashy swoop. And then I Googled it and I was like, okay, I don't need to go to this guy anymore. <laughs> like fashy, like fascist? Yeah, that's oh, literally okay, okay, what okay. it's called, the fashy <laughs> swoop. I would, He's I like, was, what? No, I meant fashionable. <laughs> yeah, I was getting like a fascist haircut. I didn't know, but he was like, it looks good. It's in style. And, like, it was in style <laughs> for, like, five, six years. Every barber in Williamsburg was passing out Tiki Torch haircuts, like, <laughs> legitimately. So enough about them. Let's talk about you sure. for, for a minute. Uh, you're a comedian, and you grew up Orthodox. Yeah. I've always wondered about that. Do you, like me, find Jewish observance kind of, like, inherently hilarious? I think there's an incongruity about it that's really interesting and I also think that there's an earnestness about it that is really funny. I know this that that's might be I mean. I'm like, oh, yeah. uh, we, it's like seven minutes until we're not allowed to do this thing and now let's count stars and now let's like all kinds of like wonderfully OCD moments sure. that you have to observe. I love it. I mean, it's so it's so funny because every piece of media I've ever seen about Orthodox people is either like they're like insane cultists or people who like reject it so they can go learn an instrument right. or something. And like for me, the tension between trying to square the modern life with the traditional life, with the orthodox life, has been what is really funny and compelling. I think it's like really a riveting pursuit trying to be orthodox. And yeah, it is like I love like uh, I had to ask a boss once. I tried to get time off for Sukkot on a TV show. <laughs> and my boss, Chris, was like, what is it? And I'm like, oh, well, we, we sit in a hut. And he's like, okay, wh where? And I'm like, uh, well, I, I have to build one. And he was like, how big is the hut? And I'm like, well, it depends how, how big you <laughs> oh, think a yeah. fist is. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I'm like, well, it's tefachim and, and, you know, like the length from your elbow to the top of your hand. And he's like, no, you can't have time off. And I'm like, can I build a hut on the lot? And he's like, no, you can't build a hut. Like it was looking at it from the outside. I'm like, that Stop is Stop lying to me. Yeah. He's like, it depends how big you think a fist is. And I'm like, well, the rabbis discuss how big a tevach and, you know, like a tevach is the size of a fist, but how big is the fist? So it's like 13 fists, you know, like it's. Let me channel my inner televangelist here and ask you, how's your faith these days? My faith is pretty solid. You know, like I, um, I got a little more invested in the pandemic. I started studying the Parsha every week with Sarah Hurwitz, who I believe you've had on the, on the pod who's a brilliant writer, and she lives in D.C., and I live in L.A., so we would Zoom 
every single week. We had never actually met in real life. We had just done a bunch of like Jewish events together. <laughs> and I just liked the way that she talked and thought. So I said, do you want to study Parsha? So I was doing that and I put on tefillin and my observance is pretty good. And I have a, and my, my girlfriend's Jewish and was raised less religious than me, but is also like interested and curious. So we go to show together. We, you know, like I explain how, how big a fest is, you know, like this type of thing. <laughs> so I saw a clip you did of a set a while ago where I think it was on Conan. You say that you've tried cocaine, but not bacon. Yes. That's and- how I describe modern orthodoxy. I said, I've never tried bacon. I tried cocaine, but I've never tried bacon. And is that still stand? You yeah, still I've have not. Had, yeah. I've never had bacon. I, once by accident, actually, when I was uh, in college, I said to my roommate, I said, can I have this mac and cheese that's in the fridge? And he said, sure. And I'm eating it, and I was like, these sun-dried tomatoes are amazing. And he's like, <laughs> what sun-dried? Oh, no! Like, it was, I made a whole big thing out of it. Like, I spat it out into the toilet. It was like a really, but I've never, I've never swallowed bacon. I've only, uh, I never inhaled, so, but, you know. So, you're an actual, relig- like, you are, or, like, you have sort of, like, the yithis here, right? But, like, do you feel like there are a lot of comedians? I mean, I feel like a lot of people are like, I'm Jewish, and, like, here's a punchline. Like, does well, that bother you? that does bother me, because I actually feel like I wish there were more comedians. Everyone's like, well, there's so many Jewish comedians. I wish there were more comedians who talked about what it meant to them to be Jewish. And I know that sounds silly, but, like... I wish there were more comedians who, instead of like, I'm a Jew, I like minestrone soup, like, you know, and like Jackie Mason. I have a great Jackie Mason story, by the way, that reminds me, I should tell you, because maybe you'll be the only people that appreciate it. But um, I, I wish there were more people who talked in a substantive way about their Judaism instead of about Jews as a whole. Like, I don't really talk about Jews as a whole, because I'm like, I'm one, you know, 32-year-old guy from Boston. I don't get to be like, us Jews are like this. Like, if there's one thing I know about Jews is how non-monolithic they are. Maybe that's like a generational thing. Maybe that's like a bit of an upbringing thing. But I've just never been super comfortable with... Uh... But yeah, there, there aren't a ton of comics, but there are a few that do it brilliantly. I'm a huge fan of like the comics that I grew up admiring that are Jewish, like Elon Gold and this guy named Modi who's here in New York. And like there are comics who can play like a Shiva Brachas and like <laughs> the comedy seller. Like I appreciate that sort of versatility. Like... I've done a few Pesach programs, and, and, like, those guys are the kings of those. But, yeah. I think we need a point system. You know, you get one point for every Jewish thing you actually do. And you get to say, like, oh, I'm a Jewish comic. If you have, like, seven points. Like, you put in film this morning, that's three points. That's three points? Yeah. That's three points. Yeah, that's yeah, no, no, so no, we, many we have points. To grade, we have to grade on, on a curve. So tell us a Jackie Mason story. Oh, my God. This story, I've never told. I don't think I've ever told this in any medium, but it's absolutely fantastic. I was in England doing one of my non-existent solo shows, and I do all my shows at this theater called The Soho in, in London. It's like the best theater. It's where Fleabag started. If you guys saw Fleabag, it's great. Right. And there's, like, a members club down the street called the Groucho where all the West End people go. And one night I walk in, and this guy, Bernie, who ran the Groucho, would— <laughs> Of course. His name is Bernie That's not Bernie the punchline, is it? <laughs> he was, like, this, you know, really big guy. always wore a leopard print coat, and he had this raspy voice. It was so funny. And one day I walk in, he's like, Alex, Jackie Mason's here. You got to meet Jackie Mason. And so I sit down. And he comes over 10 minutes later. He's like, come with me. And I go over to Jackie Mason's table. And Jackie Mason goes, you're a young comedian. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, so you admire me? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. I admire you. I'm like, I'm a, yeah, of course. I'm a, he's like, you admire me very much. And I'm like, yeah, I admire you very much. Because I'm like, where is this going? And he leans over to the two young women at the table. And he hits one of them on the arm. And he goes, hey, this is a young comedian. He admires me very much. <laughs> and I'm like, 
what are you doing? Like trying to think, what is he doing? And this girl starts laughing. And he's like, what's up? You know, and she's like, well, you know, um, my mom worked at, at the Athenaeum Theater in New York or something in the early 90s. And you uh, hit on her. And I'm like already laughing. And he's like, and my grandmother <laughs> worked at a restaurant in Miami, or maybe it was a theater in Miami, but it was definitely in Florida. Like, and you hit on her in the 70s. She's like, I actually have a boyfriend, and I hope one day that you hit on my daughter when she's like in her 20s. And Jackie Mason shrugged, and he like looks around the club for his next target. Like, it was truly so funny, and no one saw it. And it's like, when Jackie Mason passed away, I was like, I will remember that old relentless schlub. It's just uh, a legend. It was, it's a real Dorvador situation. Yeah, Dorvador. <laughs> so, yes, you're a comedian. Yeah, you do TV stuff. I would say the most important thing that you were part of was something called Saturday Night Seder, which a lot of our listeners loved. This was all the way back in... April of 2020. Yes, a different universe ago. This was the beginning of the pandemic. Tell us what Saturday Night Seder was and what what you did. So um, Benj Pasek, who's part of the songwriting duo Pasek and Paul, and they've written all the music for La La Land and Dear Evan Hansen and The Greatest Showman. Benj had come to a show and we had sort of hit it off. And around the beginning of the pandemic, we were texting about how sad it was that we weren't going to be able to have a Seder with people. I was trapped in my apartment. I was touring a show in the UK and then my tour was cut short and I had to come home and I was really depressed because I had Live comedy didn't look like it was going to be coming back for a while. And uh, Benj and a bunch of talented Jews and myself put together this YouTube video in like two and a half weeks. But we got all these celebrities to be in it with like, like Josh Groban and Bette Midler. And it was hosted by Jason Alexander. And we got Rachel Brosnahan and Darren Chris and just countless Countless Judy Gold was in it. She's amazing. And it was basically a 75 minutes of like sketches and songs. And we put this thing out on the Saturday night of, of Pesach. I can't remember if it was night four or five or something. And and it raised like three and a half million dollars for the CDC's COVID relief fund. And it was so cool because it was very handmade. Like the last person in the Seder, the last person in it is my dad and his nurses because my dad is a... Uh, ICU doctor at Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston. So he and his nurses were having some very tough weeks. It was this real labor of love. And I'm, it's still like weirdly the thing I'm like most proud of. Like I love, cause it's a thing I made with my friends and it did some good. So I first heard about it um, and I was like, oh, a bunch of celebrities doing Passover. I'm sure it's going to be like, just sort of like lip service, but actually it was like very legitimate and there was like real Jewish stuff there. Well, because I was really, really militant about like no bubbies, no brisket, no bagels, nothing totemically Jewish. Everything has to come from a place that's really got Judaism behind it. I love that slogan. It's like Seinfeld had no hugging, no learning. You have no bubbies, no brisket. No bubbies, no brisket, no bagels. He were like, I'm Jewish. I love bagels. And I'm like, that's not Judaism. I'm like, that's a food, you idiot. Like, this is... Like, you can love bagels and be Jewish, but the two aren't the same. That's, like, very superficial service-level Judaism. So, like, I was constantly pushing the writers. It's like, I'm Jewish. I like Bava Matzia. It's my favorite Masechet yeah, of the Talmud. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, Ju- I'm Jewish. I like Megillat Ruth, yeah. you know? But, like, we wanted real Judaism in it. And also, like, what a great 
example of how the holiday is perfect for the time that this ancient holiday being perfect for the time that we live in. A place literally celebrating the dark irony. You want to talk about Judaism lending itself to comedy, the dark irony of celebrating a holiday about freedom while we're, everyone was literally trapped inside their homes. So like there was something that narratively lent itself to that. And so for us to do something like we got some videos from some of the celebrities because there was a lot of the stuff that we wrote. And then there was a couple of things that the celebrities did themselves and everything that wasn't like traditional enough for me, I nixed. <laughs> like I really was mean about like, there were a couple of people who sent in stuff that were Bagels. Like, You're like, it's yeah. Passover. I was like, we're not doing this. I was like, there's going to be no pastiche. I don't like it when- You're like, Modi, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> Modi, don't make the cut. I should have asked. The funny thing is I didn't ask Modi or Elon because I was like, ah, I can't ask the big dogs who do this professionally. And then afterwards, all of them were like, you didn't put me in your thing. In your Jewish thing. I put Elon's daughter- in it singing backup for Adina Menzel on Manishtana. <laughs> we had Adina Men Menzel did Manishtana, which I think is the funniest thing. It was so cool. But there were a few non-Jewish elements, which I guess was my favorite part of that. Well, yeah, we said that we had a lot of Jews and non-Jewish Passover enthusiasts because I also think the story is resonant. The story is the most light unto the nations of any of the Jewish holidays. Like, African-Americans have found it, like, a really profound freedom narrative. So we had Billy Porter sing Go Down Moses with a monologue from Henry Winkler. And all my favorite stuff, by the way, was the stuff that was mixed in. Like, we wrote a monologue for Judith Light based on a chain email from the 90s that some rabbi in New Jersey had written. And that was interspersed with Ben Platt singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And it recontextualized Somewhere Over the Rainbow as something that the two Jews who had written it wrote as, like, a longing for freedom. But, yeah, the non-Jewish stuff was... Are you talking about the Brosnahan? Yeah, girl yeah. Oh, the fun stuff. Okay, yeah. So yeah, we had stuff. a lot of sketches. We had one sketch at the beginning of all of the celebrities who are, like, Jewish adjacent. Who get cast as Jews, right? That get cast as Jews. <laughs> or, or read as Jews. celebrities that read as Jews. And, by the way, like, a lot of them are very conscious of their... Like, conscious and grateful of their position within the Jewish community. So it's Brosnahan, Rachel Brosnahan, who plays Mrs. Maisel, Darren, Chris, and Josh Groban. I still find it hard to believe that Josh Groban... I know it's true, but very hard well, for his, me to believe. Well, he's part Jewish. I think, it's, I think he's Jewish on his father's side, but... It's Martin Short said he's Jewish on his agent's side. That's a really good and perfect Martin Short joke, which is why we love Martin Short, but, like... Also, it was a good way to, like, put a lantern on it without having people be like, oh, my God, but they're not Jews, and they're in a Jewish thing. And so, like, the joke is that they know more about, about uh, they appear at the beginning singing the intro song with Jason Alexander and, and some of the other Jewish celebrities. And then they appear at the end being really upset that Chad God Yah isn't in there. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, what about Chad Gadya? And they're like, well, we don't have time for Chad Gadya. Like, we're not going to do Chad What about the two Zuzim that the father about to go with? And they're just like, how do you know all this about Chad Gadya? And Rachel Brosnahan's like, seriously? You know, like, it's really, it was so much fun. And they were so game for it. Amazing. Do one last plug for your show. My show is called Just For Us. It's going to be at the Cherry Lane Theater from December 1st through 19th. I've done it in Scotland, in Melbourne, and... And it's toward the UK, but this is the first US run for it. And it's produced by Mike Birbiglia, who's one of my favorite comedians. And I really would love people to come because I have to sell so many tickets. So please come Every, to Everyone us. listening, you know what you have to do. Please. It Just counts, by the way, towards the point system. It counts as Jewish practice. <laughs> it's basically it's have to fill five it. Five points yeah, what if I you buy tickets. <laughs> that was the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. So 
if you don't mind, we have another stop that we're going to take. Okay. Um, do you mind coming along with us? A thousand percent. Amazing. Oh my God, this is freaking fantastic. Okay, J. Crew. so I talk a lot about food, but there's one place on earth that is very, very special to me. It's a little stand in the farmer's market in the old port in Tel Aviv. It's called Sherry Herring. It's the perfect place if the idea of a freshly baked baguette with lots of onion and smoked fish and hot peppers is your idea of heaven. And last month, it opened an outpost right here in New York on 72nd Street in my neighborhood. And as Mark said in the intro, I've been spending a lot of time and, and most of my disposable income there. And as soon as Stephanie Butnick came back from her maternity leave, now that she could once again indulge in smoked fish, I couldn't wait to take her there. Here is our visit to the new, to uh, use a Jewish phrase, Mecca of smoked fish on the Upper West Side, a place known for smoked fish hood. Sherry Herring, have a listen. Stephanie. Hi, Leo. Our long national nightmare is over. You are back. And not only are you back, but you are no longer pregnant, which means you could once again indulge in your birthright and eat some delicious smoked fish. I am really excited. And where, where are we? Where have you taken me to sort of break the seal of this? <laughs> so how, how often have you heard me rant and rave about my love for the brand new place on 72nd Street in this here in New York City, Sherry Herring, a local outpost of my absolute favorite Tel Aviv smoked fish shop. I've heard it a lot. And we're here and we're going to try some, some smoked fish, it sounds like. There's a lot of work, a lot of work to be done. I'm ready. I feel like I'm ready for it. Okay. So will you tell us who you are and what it is that you do here? My name is uh, Valentino Kaplon. I'm from Israel, Tel Aviv. Came specially to New York and opened uh, Sherry Herring NYC. So this is a very famous uh, sandwich shop from Tel Aviv by Sherry Hansky. Uh, she's a very famous culinary figure there. Our product is very smoky and uh, fishy. Tell us a little bit. You've had, you went to basic training in, in the Tel Aviv food scene, right? You, you went to like the commando army Fauda version of learning to cook in Tel Aviv. Tell us, how'd you get started in this business? I started 15 years ago in a small restaurant called Katit by Meir Adoni, one of the big chefs in Israel. Since then, I work with many chefs in the Tel Aviv. One of them is Yuval Beneria, Taizu restaurant. Uh, he's one of the best uh, in Tel Aviv right now. Listeners, you should really take notes of these things because next time you're in town, you should eat in all these places. David Frankel, from a pronto restaurant. That's like uh, my uh, education of culinary. I grew up there as a cook. And then the pandemic happened. So everything is closed and I find myself without job. And uh, then I met Sherry and I came to work with her. So since you've been in New York, what have you been eating? Is there like a type of cuisine you've been excited about? Do you miss like the fresh salads that you had every morning in Tel Aviv? I'm looking for the best uh, street food can I find, you know, like sandwiches, Asian cuisine. It's very good here. Bagels, of course. <laughs> now you told me a little bit about your life story. You were born, I believe, in Italy. You grew up in Russia. Then you came to Israel. Now you're here. What's kind of like your idea of, of local food, the food you ate at home? And, and what does that mean to you? It's very mixed because in Italy, I just born. I didn't spend the time there, but I feel like I have a 
Italian blood in my uh, veins, so maybe that's why I'm so passionate about the food. Russian cuisine, it was uh, not so rich and mostly plain. <laughs> so most of the food tasting I, I learned in Israel. We used to do in Russia, when I was a, like a small child, we used to do pilmeni. It's like a dumplings, usually with meat. So I always uh, did the ugly ones. <laughs> And I eat all uh, the rest. <laughs> so was that where you got your love of herring? Was growing up in Russia? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fish. It was uh, every dinner on the table, especially herrings and smoked fish. So speaking of smoked fish, could you walk us through this menu? Could you tell us what, what's the concept? What do people have here? What's what's an offer? How did you come up with these sandwiches? How does it work? First of all, it's, uh, you combine very high quality ingredients and you have to have great bread for the sandwich because if you don't have a great bread, you don't have a sandwich. <laughs> it's not my idea, it's a Sherry Ansky idea. She's invented all the concept, but I very respect the products. When I came here in end of July, uh, the first thing I do, I just find the suppliers, find the products, taste them, learn them where they come from, try to locate it for the local stuff that it will be more special for uh, the locals to try. Of course, herring, it's not local, but it's the best herring in the world. I want to hear a bit about what customers who come here order. I assume that a lot of people come in, they see, oh, smoked salmon, I'll play it safe. I'll take the smoked salmon sandwich. It's very delicious, I've had it, it's good. Then I assume there's like a next level, people like, oh, tuna, like, okay, great, I'll be a little bit more adventurous. Tuna with chipotle, great. And then you have my favorite, which is amazing, stuff like the Piri Piri sardines or the anchovies. What kind of customer usually buys what? Is there like a type of customer that will buy each of these sandwiches? So uh, the customers, all the new ones, they're coming and they're choosing uh, smoked salmon right away. So I'm trying the smoked salmon and I'm always trying to change their minds and I'm trying to uh, give them a taste of other stuff. And they usually take the, my options. So, could we try some stuff? Yeah, 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 of course. We, we wanna, can we try like the craziest stuff? The craziest stuff? Yeah. The, yeah. Everything. Okay. Everything. Okay, one second. <laughs> smoked salmon. chipotle tuna. chipotle. chipotle. First sandwich, it's a spicy chipotle tuna, okay? It's very simple sandwich. So I just putting a chipotle, a little bit of white onion, scallions, cucumber, and a little bit of spicy to make it a little bit more kick of uh, our story. A little bit of spicy is always a good thing. It's not, uh, it's very uh, important thing to say. This is not very spicy. Like just people to know because I know Americans not eating a lot of spicy. It's very middle. It's very light. Stephanie, just just look at this. This is beautiful. So there's there's like a smearing happening right now. So he's basically spreading the fish on the bread. It's supposed to be perfect balance between the bread and the, the salad, the tuna. Honestly, that's a perfect amount of spread. So what's this? This is a. It's a cucumber. It's a cucumber. Yeah. Very crunchy cucumber. Yeah. The Persian cucumbers, closest thing that you can get to Israeli products. So you basically come here and have to approximate all the stuff that you can easily get in Tel Aviv. Uh, yeah, you know, like the tuna. It was very difficult to find 
very good tuna here, you know. I taste quite a lot. Quite a lot of bread, quite a lot of cucumbers, quite a lot of tunas. <laughs> this is white onion. White onion, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Spring onion. Scallions, yes, Scallions. onions. And good. just a little bit of chili. Whoa. It's not so hot. A few red chilies going on there. Okay, now he's cutting it. He's wrapping it in paper. I feel like we're at like the port in Tel Aviv. It was really close, it was easy to get here too. You know, like we didn't even take a flight. Okay, guys. All right, Stephanie Butnik. This is your moment. This is your big return. And Alex, you grab one too. You should try it. Holy shit. I'm really good. Oh, so good. It's not spicy, it's like perfect. Um, this is really good. The cucumber gets the crunch, the chili. Oh my God, great. It's honestly the perfect proportion. You know, when you take the first bite, mm -hmm. It's delicious, and when you take the, the last bite, you say like, "I want more. I would just, I don't want it to be finished." You know, it's we like a good more. movie. <laughs> uh, should we do the sardines? This is amazing. How do you understand why I practically live here? I look like it is 10 a.m. right now. I feel like that's important context. <laughs> this fish journey. Okay, I need a little break. Alex, was this what you were expecting when you agreed to come on a Jewish podcast? I gotta be honest, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Valentino, thank you so much for introducing us to the Upper West Side outpost of Sherry Herring. Uh, this has been, I would say, truly life-changing. My pleasure. Thank you for coming. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow, and the day after that, <laughs> and the day after that, and the day after that. And, and yeah. Friday for Halibut. Right, and if you're listening uh, to this right now, you know, just stop on by. I'm, I'm here. Mazel tovs. Liel, do you have a Mazel tov? I, I don't have one. I have 4,000 and something Mazel tovs to every single person who attended alongside myself. I was very fortunate to be invited. Kinus Hashluchim, the annual gathering of Chabad Lubavitch emissaries all over the world. It's like, it's like my Super Bowl. It's like the happiest night of the year for me to see 4,000 incredible people literally doing God's work. There was a Lachaim at every turn, at every table. And uh, this is the one night a year when I dance. So to all my brothers there, Mazel Tov and thank you. Stephanie Butnick, you must have 50 Mazel Tov. You've just been saving them up. I know. I feel so grateful to everyone because I feel like, I know it's so cheesy, but like they say, like, it takes a village. But I am really, really grateful for, first of all, to you guys. I mean, to everyone who sort of picked up the slack, picked up the slack on slack in my absence. And um I got such nice notes from the J crew. I mean, I just, even like my family, everyone has just been so amazing and I feel so supported coming back to work and I'm kind of just like happy. Like I'm full of love. And we are so freaking happy to have you back. Yeah. And I'm also up to all the people who did reach out and say the show is not as good without you because that really like kept my ego up <laughs> during those like rocky first weeks. And so it's really good to hear. Can you hear the collective <laughs> sigh of relief that you're back from your colleagues? Almost almost over that mic drop of, of mine just now. Couldn't agree more. I want to take my Mazel Tov space. I want to hold space in the Mazel Tov space and say goodbye to the great political satirist and stand-up comedy pioneer Mort Saul, who died at 94. His work's amazing. Thank goodness we have this thing called YouTube where you can go catch some old Mort Saul. 
And I also, on a uh, on a happier note, on a cheerier note, want to give a big thank you to all the people who've been hosting me in various cities across the country, as I've talked about my book, Squirrel Hill. But in particular, in particular, I want to give a big shout out to the Jewish community of Fort Wayne, Indiana. I want to give a shout out to Rena Black, who with her husband hosted me at their table at the dinner before I spoke. I think every one of the 63 and a half Jews from Fort Wayne, Indiana came out to hear me. And only in Fort Wayne, Indiana, does the woman who's hosting you and, and sitting at your table at the meet and greet beforehand turn to you and say, you know that I went to high school with Shelley Long. And I said, did you? She said, she said, well, of course, you know, Fort Wayne Senior High, class of what, and it turns out that there have been two great people ever to come out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. One, of course, is Rena, my host, who is the, the glue of the Jewish community there. And the other was her high school speech and debate and oratory nemesis, Shelley Long, who was either a year behind her or ahead of her, and went on to do her own thing, what with cheers and, you know, that whole career. But, you know, she's done nothing for the Jews of Fort Wayne. And the people Correct. I met have done everything for the Jews of Fort Wayne. And uh, just a huge mazel tov to them out there, still in the Eastern time zone, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, so great. And keep up the good work. And, and since I'm back, I can say, who is Shelley Long? Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Studios. It's hosted by Mark Oppenheimer, that's me, with Stephanie Butnick and Leo Leibowitz. Our producers are Josh Cross, Robert Scaramuccia, and Quinn Waller. Our managing producer, Sar Fredman Ader, is out on leave, and we miss her terribly, but, you know, we're going to soldier on. Our episode art is by Tablet's art director, Esther Werdiger. Theme music by the Yiddish-English-American mash-up supremo fusion punk band Golem. And our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Look, we need your comments, questions, and kvetches. We need them. We, we can't, they're like our fuel. They're our oxygen. They keep us going without them were nothing. Send them to unorthodoxatabletmag.com. And since we're a podcast, we need to hear your voices. Email us a voice memo or leave an old-fashioned voicemail at 914-570-4869. That's 914-570-4869. 914-570-Birth of Israel, Woodstock, 4869. All the details about today's show and our guests are in the show notes on Apple Podcasts or one of your other podcast apps. You can also get those show notes by subscribing to our newsletter. There's a link to subscribe to our newsletter in those show notes. So you could go into the show notes, get the link, and then get the newsletter, which gets you more show notes. We're going back out on the road to book a live taping in your community. Email producer Josh Cross, Cross, that's Cross with a K, at tabletmag.com. And to advertise on any of our podcasts, email podcasts at tabletmag.com. To buy our merch, go to bit.ly slash unortho shirt. You can also follow us on Instagram at unorthodox podcast and on Twitter at unorthodox underscore pod. Join the rest of the J Crew in our exclusive, but also very welcoming Facebook group. Rabbinic supervision this week by Rabbi Mayor Bargeron of Congregation Achdud Vashalom in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we come to you from the scattered home offices of Tablet Studios. Shalom, friends. Do you want me to read the credits? No, no, no. No. <laughs> Bite your tongue. Okay, I mean, if you want to. I'll do the intro. I'll read the credits. Um, You can just sit this one out. I'll just sit this one out? I'm, I'm here, guys. Don't I'm worry. I'm sitting a lot out these days. I'm not sure I can sit the actual recording of the show out. It's so funny because you're sitting. Okay, let, let, sorry. Let's actually. Can we please do a show? Is that, is that okay? okay? Three, if, if, yeah, do, do two, one.